thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you. We ask you to bless this time as we open your word. Guide and lead us in what you would want us to see through all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hosea, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This particular chapter is broken up in two very distinct parts. The first part uh, is the judgment of God upon Israel for all of their uh, fornication and whoredoms and, and idolatry. The second part is God calling his people back and blessing them. And when we look at that, we're going to find out it's the millennial kingdom that he's referring to. And this is, again, we talked about this last week. Hosea bounces back and forth between time frames a lot, which makes him hard to understand if you're not following where he's at. All right, so we're going to look, we're going to look at that and kind of try to pick this up as we go along. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 1. Say unto your brethren, Ami, and your sisters, Rahama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms from out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her a wilderness and set her as a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy upon her children, for they are not, for they be the children of whoredom. And their mother hath played the harlot. She hath conceived them. She that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers and give my bread and my, that give me bread, my bread, my water, my wool, my fax, mine oil, and my drink. And we're going to stop there. All right, this is laying the stage, and this is Israel he's talking about, the northern kingdom primarily. Remember, we're, we're talking about Hosea preached during a long period of time, but the time he's preaching to the northern kingdom is a time of prosperity. The hardest time to ever preach to somebody that they need to repent is when everything looks to be going good. All right, And this is where the northern kingdom is right now. They've got great kings. The land is expanding. They're being military victorious. They're having prosperity. And they're worshiping other gods and not, not God. And everything looks like it's going good. And God often will let this happen. He'll let people prosper in their sin. David in the Psalm says, why do the heathen rage? And, the, you know, and God, why are you letting these people, you know, be victorious? And, you know, I serve you and I'm wandering around in the wilderness and they're, they're disobeying you and they're being blessed. And it's hard for us as Christians sometimes when we look at that and say, God, how can you let this dishonest, you know, terrible person seem to be blessed? They've got their houses, they've got their cars, they've got their money, they've got their bank accounts, they've got their business, they, they have all kinds of power. Well, the strange thing is, if you really got to know those people, usually what looks like from the outside is all blessed, their hearts and their soul is dying with thirst. They're not happy. You know, how do we know some of this? Well, look at some of the movie stars and the, and the actors and the uh, athletes who get everything. They dig themselves out from nothing and get everything. And then the next thing you know, they're being treated for alcohol or, or drug abuse or committing suicide. They're still not happy, even though it looks like they have everything. And this is what was happening in the northern kingdom. They seem to have everything. And Hosea's job was to preach to them that God has 
uh, judgment coming their way. And can you imagine God's going to judge you? Oh yeah, you know, look at that. I just I just made the deal of my lifetime. I've got I've got in all this money, and you know my flocks are coming in good, and I and I've got this coming in and this coming in. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with you, Hosea. You know, our gods are really blessing us. You know, so it was a very hard for, thing for him. And he says, "Say to your brethren, Amin, which means people or kindred." All right. So say to your brothers, my people. And to your sisters, Rahuma, which is loved deeply. It's kind of an interesting way to greet them. Speak to those that are, are, the, are the kindred and that are loved deeply. And he says, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore be put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breast. Plead, give a legal case. All right. Not just beg the person, but give a reasoned argument on why she should be uh, turning, turning away from them. And God says, she is not my wife. Now, this is interesting because way back in the Pentateuch, God said Israel was his wife. And another place, he says, I have not divorced Israel. But yet here he's saying, she's not my wife. She is so far removed from me. Now remember, his audience right now is the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, all the way back with, with Jeroboam, rebelled against God. From the very beginning of the northern kingdom, they followed idols. And Jeroboam, if you remember Jeroboam's logic, it was, I don't want them to go to Jerusalem and then one day want to be reunited with, with the southern kingdom. So he said, I'm going to give you your gods. And he built golden calves in Dan and in, Bereshe in, in Bethel, the northernmost city of his territory and the southernmost city of his territory. And the road to Bethel led to Jerusalem. So the people, when they would go out, he would try to get them, instead of going to Jerusalem, he'd go, come on in. This is a lot closer. You can worship your God here and turn them away from, the, from God. So the northern kingdom has always been not following God. From the very beginning, and I'm not saying every single person in the northern kingdom, but the majority of them followed after the idols, enough so that God's going to say, I'm bringing judgment upon them. And Assyria is going to conquer them at the end of their days and, and bring them into captivity. So he says, plead, she is not my wife. So I do believe God said, northern kingdom, I'm not your God, I'm not your husband. He never says this to Judah, the southern kingdom. He says, you are my people. Always, even though he's going to bring them into judgment, he never says, you are not my people, I'm not your, your God. To the northern kingdom, he says, uh, you have abandoned me completely, I've rejected you completely. And this is a very important statement. He says, and, you know, I am not her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight. Whoredom is a very strong word. Her prostitutions, her fornications, all right? All the gods that she's worshiping. It started out with golden calf worships, then became Baal and Astoroth and Gamesh and all the other gods. Just about every god there was to worship was being worshipped in the northern kingdom. And he's saying, have her put it away. And her adulteries from between her breast. Now this word for breast is the place, you know, in Song of Solomon was where the lover places their head between the, on the breast on it. It's a very strong, very graphic word. 
All right, it's not just, and it's all the idea of her seductions. All right, uh, so she has been seducing all these gods and all these people to follow after these gods. And God is saying, I've had enough. I have had enough of all of this activity. And it says now, you know, lest, you know, get her to repent lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born. All right. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to expose everything about what she's doing. And this is something in there. This is going to be the theme of this whole chapter. God says, I will expose her sin. God always exposes sin. He'll give us an opportunity to repent. But if we do not repent of our sin, God will shout it out from the rooftops. Now, how many people will hear about it? Well, it's going to depend on what your influence level is. I mean, if your influence is only your family, your family will hear about your sin. If, like some of these televangelists who've had their sins you know, called out over the, over, they have a huge amount of influence, the whole world gets to know about their sin. All right? God says that be sure your sin will find you out. And he's telling her, Turn away your sin, or I am going to reveal your sin. I am going to expose it to everybody. And so it's not literally saying I'm going to strip her naked, but it's going to be, I'm going to strip everything, anything that you think you have out, and people are going to see you for who you are. And this is something that's very important. We see this happen many times in Christians' lives when they, they think they're hiding some sin. I'm going to hide some sin, and nobody's going to know about it. And then all of a sudden, it comes out. And you feel so embarrassed because you would not repent about it. And God says, now are you ready to repent? Are you ready to repent now that everybody knows about your sin? And you have two choices at that time. Continue, continue walking the wrong way or repent. And this is what God's saying. I'm going to strip her naked as if the day. I will make her a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. Now, I do not believe that this is talking about physical drying out. I think it's talking about a spiritual drying out. All right? I'm not going to let them get any spiritual nutrition, no spiritual water. Jesus said, I am the living water. And without Jesus, we have no uh, sating of our thirst, spiritual thirst. You know, with Jesus... We are filled. And here he's saying, all right, you're rejecting me. We're going to let you go spiritually dry. We're going to let you die, you know, we're going to let you die of thirst spiritually. And I think spiritual dying of thirst is worse than, than physical dying of thirst. All right. Uh, and they may not even recognize it at first, but there is that point where you recognize something is wrong. I'm withering away. <laughs> I am not being, I'm not, I'm not growing. I'm not, I'm not not getting anything, and I'm dying of this thirst. And you may not even recognize it. It's kind of interesting. These people, when they physically are thirsty, oftentimes don't recognize that they're thirsty if they haven't been able to get water long enough. The body just kind of shuts down and says, okay, if I'm not getting water, I'm going to quit telling you I'm thirsty. But you still feel every bit of the effects. And spiritually, they may not feel the effect of dying spiritually of thirst, but they're going to understand that I'm, not, I'm miserable, I'm not happy. 
What leads people to come to Jesus is that whole drying out and that hunger that comes their way. And he's saying, I'm going to make you thirsty. I'm going to dry you out. <laughs> Which also, when you think about it, when somebody dries up and shrivels up, they lose their beauty. They lose the luster of their, of their skin. And so he's saying, I'm going to take everything that's desirable away from you. Everything that you think is desirable, I'm taking away from you. I'm going to dry you up like a prune, and nobody's going to want you. And he's, we'll see that as we get into this, into this statement. Uh, he says, I will not have mercy upon her children, for they are the children of whoredom. Now, this is a strong statement, and I'm not quite able to figure this one out, other than there is judgment upon the rest of the family. I mean, if you are the head of a family, the head of a business, the head of whatever, then you, your impact of your sin impacts your entire family. Not that they're going to pay for your sin, but when I walked away from God and I was fighting with God for six years, I wasn't the only one that suffered. Everybody in my family suffered because God opposed me. And so all these things happened and my family had to suffer during that whole six years of period of time because I was too stubborn to listen. All right? And this is what he's saying. The children. I'm not going to have mercy on the children. Because if you have mercy on the person's children, you're going, okay, well, they're okay. I can, I can, take, I can take whatever's dished out to me. I deserve it. But when you see other people being hurt by your bad decisions, if you care for them at all, it draws you to say, uh, something's wrong here. I have got to get this fixed. At least, at least for me. I'm stubborn enough to say I don't care what happens to me, but something happened to people I love is another story altogether. Could be as well. Could be as well. He's, oh, I think he's trying to get her attention. Yeah. I think he's trying to get the, the, the wife's attention, saying, you know, your children are hurting because of what you're doing. And it could also, there, there is the sub-side of that. Yeah. You know, if they're not willing to repent, you know, if they repented, they'd been able to, to come into, a, you know, into his relationship. But it is, a lot of it is that we see what our, what our sin is doing to the ones that we love, and we tend to be more reactive to it. Because many of us, like myself, are stubborn enough that says, I don't care what happens to me, I'll just keep, you know, I'll just keep doing it, and I'm that way. I am going to keep going once I make a decision. I'm going to keep going through, through hell or high water. It doesn't matter because I made a decision. I'm going to see it to the end. And until I see something happening to those that I love and, and realize it's my fault that they're suffering, doesn't, doesn't grab my attention. So I think that's what's here as well. And it could be partially that he's trying to get the, the children's attention as well. All right. Uh, and then he says... For their mother has played the harlot, and she has conceived them, conce and she that is conceived them does shamefully, for she will go, for she said, I will go out after my lovers that gave me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. So she is playing the harlot, fornication, leaving, leaving her bed of her husband to go out and sleep with all the other gods, in this case. And she is dealt shamefully. Now, this is kind of an interesting word because in Hebrew it is exhibits dryness. And I don't really understand how they get shamefully out of that. But she is revealing how dry she is spiritually by her 
harlotry with these idols. All right? Uh, and she says, I'm just going to go to the, my lovers. They're the ones, my lovers are the ones that are providing me all that I have. She's deceived. <laughs> all right? And Israel was deceived. This is a time of great prosperity in the northern kingdom. They're worshiping all the idols, and they're going, look what all these idols are doing for us. I went out, I prayed to Baal this morning, and look at, look at this deal I made. I went out and I prayed to Astoris, and look at my number of children that, I, that I've gotten out of this. And they're looking and saying, all my blessings are coming from my gods. And not looking at the fact that God was giving them blessings that they didn't deserve. God's mercy on people is so valuable. Basically, yes. Okay. All right. The woman leaves Hosea to go do other things. Hosea is, Hosea is really talking in a personal way through all of this because he's seeing his, his wife do this, but it's also the message from God aimed at Israel. Okay. So she is actually going out His wife was going out. Right. Because God told her in the chapter one that you're going to marry this person and you are going to be the picture to Israel of what they're doing to me. All right? And we talked about that. You know, God told him to go out and pick, out, pick up a, pro a prostitute to marry. And you know this has to go over real well with his poor parents who, you know, he's a, he's a prophet. You know, God told me to go marry this prostitute. Uh, Hosea, you know, what, what drugs were you using last night that you got that message from God? You know, uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't, you know, you know, Hosea, we understand trying to justify your sin, but don't try to say God's telling you to do this. Uh, it, it was being unequally yoked. It was, you know, everything about it would be a bad decision from a biblical perspective. And she goes out and does all this. So, yes, he's, he's now really heartfelt because he, when he's preaching this message, this is a real hitting close to home for him. His wife has gone out, left him, not, living, not, not staying at home, not, not abiding at home, you know, going after whatever, whatever she can get from others, taking the wealth of the, the lovers and, and coming, you know, maybe coming home and, you know, going out for a week or two and coming back, you know, or, or a night and coming back and being, having all these presents and everything that she was getting from them. Yeah, there's lots of women like that, unfortunately. Yeah, well, <laughs> most likely, most likely they had some, you know, there was probably a lot of trouble with him yeah. going out and picking up a prostitute for a wife. So uh, in five, if he's relating to Israel, is that because they deal with unchristian countries? No, at this point they are worshiping the idols. So that's where they're getting their flax and their bread from? Well, in this particular case, God is still giving them blessing. Okay. They're saying it's the idols that are giving them their blessing. All right, they're saying, "Look what I'm getting. I'm getting all this stuff, you know." And obviously, it's not from Hosea's God, because Hosea's God is saying that we're doing wrong. So, the prosperity gospel has always been around. You know that whoever you worship is giving you your your wealth, and as long as you do what they want, you're going to be wealthy. All the way back to the very first book of the Bible of Job. All right, showing the prosperity gospel. Here, you're seeing them say about the prosperity gospel. We're worshiping these idols, and we've got lots and lots of stuff. You know, 
Hosea's coming along and saying, God's going to judge you. Yeah, right. Look at all the, look at all the wealth. I got money in the bank. They're, my barns are full. and I'm not worshiping your God. I'm worshiping these other gods. And look how they're blessing me. All right? They never recognized that it was God's mercy that gave them their stuff. You know, they're thinking it's these gods that they're worshiping and not recognizing that there's a penalty to be paid for disobeying God. Now, granted, they didn't really understand God. They didn't have the word of God. Remember in, the, we, in, is, in Israel where the word of God sits in the, in the temple, half the time it's lost. And between all these bad kings, it gets lost and nobody's reading the word of God, so they're not reading the word of God. It's all the stories, you know, verbal stories that are being forgotten in Israel, the northern kingdom, because they don't care about God. And all of a sudden, a prophet will come along and say, God's going to bring judgment to you. Well, it's easy to believe in judgment when the enemy's coming down on you and it looks bad. Real hard to believe in judgment when everything's going good. This is the hard thing when you're witnessing to people. It's much easier to witness and lead somebody to the Lord who's in the gutter. All right. Uh, my life has completely fallen apart. I lost everything. I've lost my family, you know, or, or I'm losing my family. I'm, and my job is on the line. Uh, everything is going wrong. Talk to them when they're on the top. I don't want to hear, you know, I'm on top of the world. I've got the five-car garage, and there's six cars in it. There's, you know, I've got the servants. I've got a bank account. I've got, you know, 401k. You know, granted, I get hung over all the time, and I'm using up a lot of my money on, on sin, but, you know, I've got a good family. You know, my family's there. Uh, everything is good. Just leave me alone. Don't tell me about God. This is what Hosea was having to go through. You know, Hosea, I've got the chariot out front. I've got the, the carriage in the back. You know, I've got several horses. I've got several horses to talk. I've got, I've got a herd of oxen and sheep out there. The, the field is full of, full of uh, corn and weed and whatever. What do you mean that God's going to judge? I'm not seeing any judgment from God. Well, it comes. The, the God's judgment always comes. And this is what this was the day that he's preaching in. You know, everything looks good, and everybody's probably laughing at him all the time. You know, you, what do you, what's wrong with you, Jose? You're kind of jealous. You don't have as much as we do. You know, you know, maybe you should switch gods and worship our god because look what our god's doing for us. And that's what they were saying. They were taking all the blessings of God and saying that it came from the idols. All right, all right. Verse six. Therefore. Behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path. She shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and, and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore, I will return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof, and I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And I will, and now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. And I will also cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts, 
and I will destroy her vines, her fig trees, whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and, and the beast of the field shall eat them. I will visit upon her the days of Baalim, wherein she burned incense for them, and she decked herself in her earrings and her jewels and went after her lovers and for, forgot me, says the Lord. All right, God is now speaking in a very harsh way to her. All right, she's forgotten him, and he says, therefore. Whenever you see therefore, you want to look and see why it's there. <laughs> it's got a reason there. Why, why is it there? All right, we know she's been rejecting him. So God says, because of that rejection, this is what I am going to do. And he goes, I will hedge her way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path. God says, I am going to box her in. She is not going to find a way out. All right? Now, if you've ever been disobedient to God as a Christian or even before being a Christian, you probably have experienced this hedging in where God blocks everything you want to do and says, are you ready now to face what I want you to face? I'm not letting you out. You're not going to go get satisfied with any of your sins, anything that you want to do. I am boxing you in. And when God boxes you in, you're in trouble. All right? When I was fighting him for six years, I made all kinds of wonderful plans to get out of the problems that I was in. And I'm a planner. I'm an organizer. I'm a manager. They were great plans. God put a box around me. None of my great plans worked for six years. As you can say, I'm very stubborn. Finally, I gave up. And I said, God, I, I give up. I'm, I'm turning over to you. And he said, about time. And he, and he turned my life around overnight. Six years of fighting with him and give up and repent. And he just turns it over and overnight. She's boxed in. What is she going to do? She has the opportunity to repent. We find out, of course, that Israel does not repent. But she's being boxed in, and God says, I will, she will not be able to find her path, her walk, a way out. She shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. <laughs> and this words for seek after her lovers... These are very strong words. The one means pursue ardently. All right? He's saying she is going to put all of her passion into trying to serve her lovers and find her lovers that God has blocked her away from. This happens a lot of times when people are really deep in their sin. And they're going, I am going to get, I am going to get joy out of this sin somehow, some way. Now, they're not calling it sin at that time. But I am really going to go enjoy this. I want to find a way to enjoy this. And God does not allow you to do it. You know, maybe you get to sin, but you don't get the enjoyment from it. You don't get the pleasure from it. Maybe it's alcohol, and you're going, I just can't get enough alcohol to get the same buzz. I can't get enough drugs to do the same buzz. I can't, I can't find enough people to sleep with to get the same feeling that I used to. And God says, I am blocking the pleasure. I'm blocking you from finding your lover ardently searching after him, desiring greatly to find that, find that lover, searching hard, great desire to find it, and God says, I am not letting this happen. 
And then she does a very interesting thing, saying, I will return to my first husband. Good starting place. That's what you're supposed to start with. All right? The prodigal son made the decision, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to repent and say, hey, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just make me your servant. That's not what she does. <laughs> All right. Why is she going back to him? It was better for me before. All right. Everything's going bad for me now, so I'll go back to the first, I'll go back to the first one and say, and everything will be okay. Everything will be okay because I'm going to go back to God. Now, I can't get satisfaction in all these other things. I'm going to go back to the, I'm going to go back to the original. No repentance. There's no hint of repentance in this statement. I'm going to go back because it was better for me back then. All right? And and then God says, says a statement, for she did not know that I gave her corn, wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold. God said she did not know that I'm the one that gave it to her. She went off and did her thing with her, with her foreign gods, and it was me who gave it to her. Now she's back, thinking she's going to be better. And God says, and all the stuff I gave her, she, she offered to Baal. She went out and gave sacrifices to her God. She took all of God's blessings and worse than using it on herself. Okay, it's bad enough when we spend all of God's blessings on ourselves. He says she took the blessings that I gave her and offered them to the idols. Offered, give, gave, gave over. This word, this word is, is uh, basically is an offering, but it can also mean that it uh, was given to or considered, considered belonged to him. When I offer something to God, if I have the right attitude, it belongs to God. And a lot of times people put strings on their offerings to God and try to control the offering that they give to God. Uh, we're not necessarily talking about this here, but she says, this is your, this is, I'm offering all this stuff to, to Baal, and God says, uh, how can you give my stuff to Baal? You know, uh, you know this is my stuff you're giving to, giving to that, to that God. Uh, pretty big deal. <laughs> and, you know, and this is what's going on. Uh, verse 9 says, therefore, I will return and take away my corn, in, a, in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. He's saying, I'm going to start taking my stuff back. You had your nice clothes, I'm taking them back. You had, your, you had all, the, all, the, all the wine and the oil, I'm taking it back. All right, uh, Everything being lost. And this is what happens when God finally brings judgment on us, we lose everything. We can lose everything if we go too far. And God's always ready for us to repent. But he's also ready to take us all the way to the bottommost part of the gutter if that's what it's going to take to get us back. And he does that often. He brings dryness into people's life so that they realize that I got everything I thought I wanted. And I've talked to various people who've gotten to, usually in business world, they made it to the top. You know, they're the top dog. They're at the, you know, the high position they wanted and they realize that they're not happy. Because then they look back and realize, I just sacrificed my family to get here. 
I did, and usually I understand because I got into workaholism, I did everything I did for my family, at least that's what I told myself. And I honestly believed it while I was doing it, I was doing it for my family. I'm going to get, I'm going to get all this stuff, they're going to have everything because I'm going to be the top of the, top of the heap and it's all for my family, and then you get to the top of the heap and realize that you don't have a family anymore because they gave up on you. Uh, you know, the kids grew up, they moved off, and they took your bad habits and did the same thing that you're doing. And they don't have time for you. You know, they'll song Cats in a Cradle, you know. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. I'm so busy trying to be top dog that my kids end up doing the same thing to me when I'm finally the top dog ready to spend time with them. They're sorry, Dad, I don't have enough time for you because I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy just like you were. This is what God is saying here. You know, I'm taking away everything I gave you to try to get your attention. Because when she's in the middle of all the blessings, she's not following God and not, not listening and being dried out without, without, without listening. And God says, I'm going to start taking everything back away. And this happens in many people's lives when they finally get to the top or whatever it is. You know, you're the, the number one movie, movie star, you're the number one singer, you're the number one athlete, you're the number one in the business world, number one in the family world, whatever it might be, and you find out, I thought this was going to make me happy, and yet it doesn't. It's exactly what Solomon found out in Ecclesiastes when he said, everything's vain. You know, and he literally was rich enough and powerful enough to have done everything. You know, he built all these parks, put his name on it, wasn't happy. He got women and wasn't happy. He got, he got into alcohol and drugs and wasn't happy. He got into worshiping gods and wasn't happy. Uh, everything he did did not satisfy. Well, in pursuit of wisdom, he got, because of his lack of wisdom, and especially women, <laughs> uh, cost him. You know, cost him all of his wisdom. Uh, and this is, he's a great example how bad decisions can ruin even the perfect gift of God. All right? Uh, and this is something that's very much true. Everything's going along good. I'm serving God. God is blessing. I'm watching things happen. And I've got this sin in my life. And all of a sudden, it overtakes me. Sin always asks more than we think it's going to ask for and will demand more. When we talked earlier about these evangelists that get into to affairs, I can guarantee every one of them probably said at the beginning of their ministry, I would never cheat on my wife, I would never commit adultery. All right? Uh, and I'm sure that that would be true of every one of them. Every one of them would say, there is no way I'd ever, that I would ever commit adultery. They didn't put a guard on their heart, and they did some stupid things in many cases, and before long, they'd fallen. Now, Satan is going to help them. He's going to put just the right person in their path at just the right time when they're having a hard time with their wife and there's a lot of pressure going on. There'll be somebody coming along and maybe not. Maybe they are trying to seduce him. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're just being nice. And they come in at just the right time when he and his wife haven't had a good relationship for a while and they're struggling. His wife hasn't said a nice word to him in, in two years and this person's saying nice things to him. Not trying, not trying to seduce him. Now, there are women out there that try to seduce pastors. Uh, it's a notch in their belt to be able to get the, get the righteous pastor of, a, of it. You know. uh, so there are people out there doing that. 
But most of these guys aren't falling to that. They're falling to just somebody who's being kind to them. And then they do something stupid like go out to lunch with just, with just that woman. Uh, not a group of people, nothing, nothing planned on it, but there's an intimacy in taking somebody out for a meal that needs to be watched. And so they, and then they start getting a little bit litter, a little bit here, and before long, they find themselves being attracted to each other. And things happen. Uh, so this is what happens, and Satan is good at putting just the right person in our path and orchestrating just the right time for it to happen and be able to make, it, make things happen. And this is what's going on here. This person is being used, and in this case, God is even allowing it. And I think God allowed it with them. Okay, you're not putting the guard on your heart. You're, not, you're, doing, you're doing things. Let's, let's bring it out. We're going to bring it out in the open. Are you ready to ad- confess what you did? We're going to bring it out in the open. And Jesus said, your, your sins will be shouted from the housetops. And we need to be, that should scare some of us. Now, if we have a sin that we think is hidden, that we're not repenting of, God is going to bring it out at some point. And people are going to get to know that we have a problem. And the more we give into it, the more it's going to come, the faster it'll come out. Uh, God says, and I will discover her lewdness, or I will reveal, I will lay it open. And lewdness is... A very strong word, uh, it means reveal or private parts. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. And we're not talking about the breast at this particular private parts that he's talking about. All right, uh, he says, I am going to lay her bare and reveal everything. Everything that is out there. And God does that. If we will not repent, he will, he will lay us open in front of people for full embarrassment. Because we would go, I'd never, do, I'd never do this, I'd never do this, I'd never do this. And we're not, you know, and preaching against it or whatever. And the next thing God says, uh, I'm going to reveal that you're doing this. And this is the very harsh thing. He says, I will lay bare her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. All, right? All the ones that she's trying to impress, God's going to say, I'm going to show them how totally wicked and depraved you are. They're not going to have any respect for you, and none shall deliver you her out of my hand. And again, coming back to harshness, when God chooses uh, the judgment is coming our way, nothing stops it from happening outside of repentance. And once it's already in play, it's probably going to be revealed anyway. There's consequences to sin. And we've got to understand, and I say this over and over, sin has consequences always and the consequences are always more than we think they're going to be all right and this is very important because we will sometimes make a conscious decision well if I do this this is going to happen and I can handle that all right you know I'm going to go out and drink and I just have to put up with a hangover the next day and we go in thinking that we can handle the consequence and then we really do something stupid. We get behind the wheel and kill somebody on the way home or wrap our car around a telephone pole or something you know, of that nature. Uh, you know, and we thought all we were going to do was suffer a hangover, and God says, no, sin always demands more than you're thinking that it does. And this is what happens when somebody goes into an adulterous affair or something of this nature. 
Well, it's just between me and them. It's not going to be that big a deal. Yeah, God will forgive me. Well, no, if you've got position, God's going to open it up at some point and say, this is what happened. You know, we tell lies. Eventually, the truth comes out. You know, I used to tell my kids all the time the same thing my dad told me. Tell the truth. There's less punishment for telling the truth than, than to lie. And my kids found that out very often, and so did I when I was growing up. It was better to tell the truth and be punished for what you did wrong rather than get punished for the lie and what you did wrong. All right? And my kids had found that out over time. You know, uh, just tell me the truth. You know, you're still going to be in trouble, but if you lied to me, now you're going to be in trouble for what you did and the lie. And a matter of fact, I considered the lie more, worse than whatever it was they did because they were trying to hide what they did instead of confess it. And at that point, they really got in trouble. They got more in trouble than I was planning to get them in trouble for to start with, plus they got the lie on the, the, the being in trouble for the lie. God does that with us. Are we willing to repent or are we trying to hide it? Now, we can't lie to God, but how many times do we try to lie to God? Uh, God, I didn't do a thing. Nope, not me. Uh, I had no problem. Nope, 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 not me, God. I didn't do it. It was that woman over there. <laughs> yeah, that woman you gave me, God, uh, it was her fault. Uh, Adam started the whole thing. But we, we have this problem and we try to blame others. And when we do that, God says, well, if you had just repented, there would have been some consequences which are going to be lighter. Now that you wouldn't repent, now you're in trouble for not repenting and you're going to have harsher, harsher punishment for what you didn't repent of. This is where he's at with, this, with, this, with Israel. You have been dealing with these idols. You have been following all of this stuff. Uh, he says, I will another one will deliver her out of my hand. Verse 7, I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her joy, her peace, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all of her solemn feasts. Everything that's bringing her any pleasure is not going to bring her pleasure. I've been, been at this place <laughs> where nothing seems to do any good. Uh, that is when it's even hard to read the Bible or go to church because you're not repentant and God says, I'm not going to let you enjoy any of this stuff. You're not, you're not going to get, you're not going to get the, the filling of the Spirit because you are not right. And it's hard. And this is when you'll hear people going, well, I just don't get anything out of the Bible anymore. When I hear that from somebody, I'm not going to judge them, but I'm going, okay, what are, what are you not repenting of? What are you having trouble between you and God about that you're not getting anything from the Bible anymore? Because that's when I have the hardest time, when I know there's sin in my life, and I'm just struggling with being able to get anything out of it because I'm not right with God. And he says, I'm just going to dry you up. I'm going to keep drying you up until you repent. And so she's not going to get any benefit. And these things that he lists, her feast days, new moon, Sabbaths, and solemn feasts, these are all the things that she's supposed to do for God. All right? That she's not been doing for God, but now that she's trying to come back to God, she's going to try to do, try to do the things to try to get some joy, and it's not going to work. Because God's saying, no, we're not, we're not letting this happen. You have not repented. And it all goes back to the fact that she did not repent. If she had repented, just like the prodigal son, she would have been accepted back as the, in her rightful position. And God would have said, you repented? Good. Here you are. 
going to clothe you back in the best clothing. I'm going to give you the ring on your finger, the shoes on your feet. We're going to have a great big party because you've returned. And she did not come back with that attitude. She says, things were better with my first husband. I'm going back to him and, and it'll be better again. And God says, uh-uh, no way. <laughs> not going to give you the blessings when you have not repented. And this is very important for us to repent. He says, I will destroy her vines and her fig trees. For she has said, these are, my, these are the rewards of my lovers have given me and I will put them and I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. So in other words, she's saying, God said, all my blessings you said came from your, your God, so I'm not giving you any more blessings until you've repented. She refused to repent, and he says, I'm not, I'm not giving you anything. And at this point, he hasn't even accepted her back. He just says, I am not going to give you any, any good because of your attitude toward this. Attitude is very important when, when we're dealing with God. He looks at what our attitude is. Are we trying to manipulate God? God will not let himself get manipulated. And he sees through any manipulation that we try to do. And he says, I'm not going to let it ha happen. Verse 13 says, I will visit upon her the days of Baalim, wherein she burnt incense to them and decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and went after her lovers and forgot me, says the Lord. The days of Baalim, Baalim is a plural for Baal. So the gods, all, all those gods that she worshipped. All the days that she worshipped God, those gods, God says, I will put a visitation. I will judge all of those days. That's what visit upon means. He was going to bring judgment. All right, he's going to say, I'm going to bring judgment for all those days that you worship those other gods. And then when you burned incense to them and you decked yourself out with your earrings and your jewels, you made yourself look beautiful. All right, you, you dolled yourself up, Israel, to go worship these other gods when I wanted you. When you were my bride, my possession, and the jealousy of God is being shown here. You know, uh, we have all kinds of songs and movies about the person getting dolled up to go out on the town, whether it's the guy or the girl. <laughs> I guess it's not dolling up for the guys, but you know, uh, dressing up for, you know, dressing up to go out on the town. <laughs> yeah, the same equivalent. Uh, dressed to the nines, whatever, huh? Dressed to the nines, whatever term you want to use. You know. Uh, but going out and trying to impress people that aren't their spouse. And God is saying, you went out to do this. You put on all the finery that I gave you. It says you put on my jewelry to go out to seduce these gods and to, to lay with these gods and be paying attention to these gods. Um, and forgot me, says the Lord. You forgot all about me. This is what God's problem is with Israel. They forgot him. All through the wandering of the wilderness, they've kept forgetting God. Every time they turned around, they were rejecting God. And the only reason they didn't get destroyed is because Moses was there interceding for them. You know, on more than one occasion, God said, all right, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy them all, and I'm going to start all over with you. And Moses goes, God, you can't do that. Everybody will hear what you've done, and they will say that you were strong enough to get them out of Egypt, but not, 
strong enough to bring him into the land. You cannot let your, your testimony be destroyed by your anger that they deserve. And he prayed for them over and over again. At this point, there's nobody praying for Israel. <laughs> maybe, maybe Hosea was praying for him a little bit. All right? But he's probably saying it's about time they need to be. But he also has a love. They're his people. He does not want to see them destroyed. This is where I'm at with our country right now. Our country deserves to be destroyed. And yet, I love my country and I love the people of this, of this country and I don't want to see us destroyed. And I'm praying for this country. I'm praying for revival because I don't want to see it destroyed even though it deserves all the punishment God can pour out on it and is starting to see that punishment. All of these storms that we have and fires that we have and, and troubles that we have are all the result of the sin of this nation and they're only going to get worse without repentance to the point where this nation will fall. And it may be the world falling as well, not just this nation, but it is possible for just America to fall and not in the world. <laughs> uh, you know, but our country is looking at complete destruction if it doesn't repent. We are already at the place where every empire has fallen. Homosexuality and transgenderism is prevalent. Every empire in history fell when, when, when homosexuality and transgenderism became popular. This is not new, nothing new under the sun, just like Ecclesiastes says, this has happened in the past, and if God tarries, will happen again in the future to the next nation that takes the place. Every empire has fallen when it gets so lazy and looking for entertainment and starts getting into sinful entertainments. And we are there. We are, we are a lazy people overall, and we enjoy our sin, and the world is getting more and more sin, and we're calling good evil and evil good. And God says, that is the mark. You need to repent or else. Our country is right on that cusp. We don't have a long time left. There is a very short time, historically, before this country falls, if we don't repent. Now, I think the whole world is at the same place, so the whole world will probably fall, not because America falls, but just because homosexuality and transgenderism is global now. There's no, no place else where it does not permeate. So, you know, in the past, there's always been another nation that could take the place of the nation that's falling. Uh, and I don't see that right now. Now, I could be wrong. God, who knows what God can do? God can raise up nations out of nothing. Babylon came up out of nothing to be the greatest empire of the world. Alexander the Great came out of nothing to be the next one that replaced Babylon. The Roman Empire came out of, you know, just a whole bunch of tribes over there that got together and ended up being a world, world power. It is possible that somebody is out there that's going to replace America that we don't even see right now, that is just going to pop up, and God's going to say, this is, my new, this is my new righteous power. I don't know who that would be. I have no idea because I look at all the, all the nations of the world and I see nothing but sin but God could have somebody out there and we might not be as close to the end times as we think but I think we're right there I think we're right on the cusp of the end times if nothing else because Israel became a nation and God says that the, that generation will not see the end before I come now as long as anybody's alive that was born that was alive in 1948 when Israel became a nation we're in that generation 
but they're all getting pretty old. You know, we're, we're looking at maybe 20 or 30 years before the last person in that generation probably will, will die. So we're close. We are close to the end of everything by that definition. Now, God could still have some other plan you know, that we don't know of because we may be in, misinterpreting what he says, but I'm just saying, he says that generation shall not, not pass away before I come, before I return. Now, what he meant by that, we might be surprised, but I'm going to take it literally that anybody that was alive in 1948 is part of that generation. Uh, so we want to be aware. God has a plan. And I think the world is very close to the end times and that the tribulation period is going to start very fairly soon and the rapture starts. <laughs> Are you part of that generation? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I wasn't, born, I wasn't born yet on that time. Uh, but we are getting close to the end of that, the end of that period, that particular prophecy. What does it mean? I don't know. I mean, I get excited because it's like, okay, God, I'm seeing all the pieces come into place. I'm seeing all the pieces come into place. God, come quickly. Come quickly. Take us home. Because, you know what? I'd rather be in heaven right now than down here. Now, I like preaching, I like teaching, I like seeing lives changed, but I am looking forward to the day when I get to go to heaven and not have to put up with this world because I'll be done with it. I'll be home. I'll be where I belong. <laughs> and unfortunately, he's not quite done with us, so we're going to have to stay a little longer. But we ended up here. We're ending on judgment. Next week, we'll look at the millennial kingdom. God's return, his calling back of Israel. And he's not done with Israel. Never let anybody out there tell you that God is done with Israel. He's put Israel on the shelf for a while. He's dealing with Gentiles. But when he takes the church out of this world, everything during the last seven years of the, of the, of the period of time will be about Israel. Everything including the Millennial Kingdom. The Millennial Kingdom is about Israel, as we're going to see in this next, this next part of this chapter. It's all about Israel. Now, we as the church will reign with Christ during the Millennial Kingdom, but everything going on in that world is about Israel and how God is blessing Israel and bringing Israel back to himself. And there will be many at that time that reject God, even during that perfect period of time of God's rule and this is one of the most beautiful pictures of of the millennial kingdom that I can have found in the scriptures is this next this next section of this chapter so we're going to close here Lord we ask you to bless us Lord help us to see your love and your mercy help us to quickly repent of any of our sins so that you do not have to bring them out to embarrass us. And we just thank you for all of that. And thank you that even when you do that, you, you'll bring forgiveness and mercy and all of that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, 
And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.